Hello, and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices out there. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, I give you a huge thank you. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome into episode 27. Spring is here. Well, sort of, in some places. With the Cubs heading into game action this weekend, it's time to start thinking about what the Cubs will be this season. Saya and Morell are huge. Bellinger took Smiley deep to left center today, and Wilson Contreras is getting under Cub fans' skin already. Today I hit all that, talk about Happen Horner contract extensions, and spend some time looking into the newly released Pakoda projections and how the NL Central race is looking. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. How's the weather where you are? Here in Charlotte, it's in kind of an otherworldly 85 degrees today in uh, February. That's a little disconcerting, but it means spring is here. And the Cubs are active in spring training. They play their first game this weekend. I'm thrilled I'm going to be taking two of my sons down there to go see the Cubs play the Giants on Saturday. It's just going to be a quick trip, but it's going to be great to get down to the complex, hopefully wander the backfields a little bit, and catch some actual Cubs baseball, something we've all been waiting for since last season ended. Um, so hopefully you're not getting too much snow where you are. It seems to be weird. It's either crazy warm or you're getting 20 inches of snow. But there's a lot that's been going on. And so as we're starting to focus on the season, we're starting to see players interacting with media again. Um, you know, there was a big upswell about Contreras earlier this week. Wilson Contreras in St. Louis talked about making the Cubs fans cry for years to come. And I don't know. I I'm not really bothered that much by any of this stuff. I know there are people who wish Contreras would shut up, but that's who he is. It's who he was with the Cubs. You know, he's a he's a high energy, high emotion player who wears his heart on his sleeve, and he felt slighted by the Cubs. He's going to talk about it, and he's the he's the kind of player that plays better seems seems to play better when he has that chip on his shoulder. So he's made the Cubs that chip. I mean, who didn't see that coming? So he plays for the rival now. I think he very much enjoys that. I think he, if he has good games against the Cubs, I think he's going to very much enjoy, you know, rubbing it in the organization's face. Um, even though he's talking about the fans, I don't think his ire is really all that directed at the fans. I think it's really more the organization. But um, just wanted to talk my thoughts about it. You know, I'm going to miss Contreras. I'll, you know, if I'm if I'm there when the Cubs play the Cardinals for the first time in Wrigley, I'll give him a big ovation and then. You know, I'll always remember him. I'll always like him from what for what he did with the organization all these years. But then he's a cardinal, and he's just gonna you know be a cardinal. And I'm not gonna root for him, and I'm not gonna specifically hate him. But I'm gonna hope you know the Cardinals lose every time they play the Cubs, and that's just how it'll be. Um, you know, the next thing that comes to mind is a lot of these players have been coming back to spring training. Some of them are looking huge. You know, Saya, Saya Suzuki, Christopher Morel, they're absolutely jacked. And Jonathan Perlaza is huge. Nelson Velazquez got a lot bigger. You know, I interviewed Mark Weissman, the strength and conditioning coach in Myrtle Beach, you know, in November of his episode 18. 
And he talked a lot about what the guys were going to be doing in the offseason. They put together a customized program for every player um, based on that player, where they are in their development, what their goals are for the next season. And I know one of the things the Cubs have talked about this offseason was, you know, they didn't have enough power last year. And it looks like a few of these guys got put in the weight room, you know, to go develop some power. Um, Say Suzuki was always hit for pretty decent power in Japan. He came back bigger. You know, it's sort of a running joke that guys come back in the best shape of their life for spring training. But, I mean, some of these guys, dang. I mean, they, they really are in, in uh, at least the biggest shape of their life, if not the best. So we'll see what that comes from. But you know, if you want to revisit what Mark Weissman talked about as far as strength and conditioning within the Cubs organization, you can go back to my episode 18 from uh, November 23rd. It was right before Thanksgiving. The other big topic is extensions. You know, there's a lot of talk about, particularly Ian Happ and, and Nico Horner, um, getting extensions. Ian Happ is obviously in his last year before free agency. Nico Horner's in his first arbitration year, so he's got two more years to go after this one. And they're, they're kind of different sides of the coin. So when you look at extensions, and I, I did talk about this again in a past episode when I talked through the strategy the Braves have been uh, employing to extend their young, talented players. You know, doing an extension is is all about balance. You want to, in an ideal scenario, the extension that works well for both sides, it takes a player who has some uncertain uh, uncertainty in terms of their player projection, excuse me, or where they are in their career, or where they are with injuries, and it helps them lock in money. You know, you get a let's use David Bodie as an example. You know, he was a he was a young guy who showed some ability to have a pretty good hard hit rate early in his career. And the Cubs thought he could be a guy that could project as a cheap starter or a utility player. And they signed him to, you know, a $15 million contract over five years. And what they do, you know, it's Bodies was not big money. It hasn't set the organization back. He's, he's still, he's not on the 40 man roster, but he is still in the organization in Iowa being paid out the rest of that contract. Um, it factors in where you are. So in somebody like, David Bodie's case, it was factoring in, I think it was one pre-arb year, three arbitration years, plus one free agent year, and then there, there are options that it would look today like the Cubs are not going to pick up. So someone like Nico, he's somebody who, let's say he continues to develop, um, there will be some question about whether he gets valued as a shortstop or a second baseman, because he showed last year he's a certainly more than capable shortstop, um, but he's going to play second base probably for the rest, rest of his arbitration time. Second basemen typically aren't as high a premium position as shortstop is. That could affect his money. But he's, he made $2.5 million this year in his first arbitration year. Um, I, would, I would guess his projections next year, if he continues to develop as a player, stays healthy, has a good season, probably starts getting up into that you know, $6, 7000000 million area. And then by RB year three, again, if there's continued growth, he's healthy, he's playing great defense, the bat's developing a little bit. Um, you know, he could very much be up in that, you know, 10 to $12 million range. So the Cubs have right now some uncertainty. They they have uncertainty about Nico Horner as a player. You know, he's hasn't, even last year he was mostly healthy, but he did have some injuries early in the season. Um, but he's shown he can play defense at either middle infield position. He could probably play outfield. He's just a very talented defender. But he also has, you know, has his back to develop. Is he going to, continue to add a little bit more power as he goes. Where's he going to balance out on the flip side for Nico? You know, he's got risk too. 
if he has another big injury year that really does start to impact you know his future marketability if he has a bad year you know obviously that lowers his future value so the goal there would be to lock in a price that gives the cubs some stability you know i talked in a past episode about talking about free agency one of the things that really hamstrung the cubs as they headed from 2016 into 2019 was that all those young players chris bryant javi baez Addison Russell for a while, Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber, those guys were getting more and more expensive every year. And I walked through how, you know, KB goes from, you know, like a million dollar a year pre-arb player to I think he was 22, 20 to $22 million his last arbitration year. And those are big raises every year that get calculated in. One of the things that's been nice for the Braves with their model is they lock these guys in and it sets their value. It's the average annual value for the contract that counts against the the luxury tax or the competitive balance tax threshold. So an extension with Nico Horner would give the Cubs kind of a level cost over the next however many years. Typically what you do is you buy out any pre-arb years, arbitration years, because he's getting progressively more expensive. So let's say he is in that, you know, $7 million next year, $10 million the year after, the free agent market, again, would he be priced as a second baseman or a shortstop? Or does the premium to second base become more of a premium position with the shift gone? We'll have to see how that goes. But based on this year's market, as a free agent, as a young player who's got good speed, good defense, solid bat, you know, he's probably looking at certainly twenty plus million dollars per year based on the contracts we saw go out this year, market inflation. So when you start to put together an extension, you do have to factor that in. So you you might factor in you know, eight million for next year, thirteen million for the last ARB year, and then maybe you do factor in twenty one for a couple of years. You, know, you could go a five year deal plus options. You could do for any number of things, but you add that together, and so let's say you put him at twenty two million dollars per year as a free agent. That could be three years, sixty six plus two years at basically twenty. Um, so that could be five years, 86, it was like a five, a 590 kind of extension. Um, that could make sense, but also, you know, extensions, and we'll talk about this, especially with happen in a minute, but extensions are very much a two way street. Um, I don't think the Cubs have engaged in extension talks as often as I wish they would, but when they do, you know, it, it's a two way street. The, the, deal has to make sense for the team and the deal has to make sense for the player. And so the team wants to make a deal, you know, the, the business side you want to have in theory, I guess maybe you want to pay the player as little as possible, but even if you take, put the best possible intentions on it, you want to offer a fair deal. The player wants a fair deal and it's got to work for both sides. So, you know, it, it came out this week that I guess in 2018, the Cubs offered Contreras something like, um, five years, $24 million or something. And, and that was where the discussion ended. There were no more discussions after that. Well, the reality is when you factor in his pre-arb years and his arbitration years, Wilson made less than that for the five years before he left for free agency. He wound up making basically it was uh, five five years, $20 million. So I did the math the other day. I don't have it in front of me. Um, so it has to make sense for both sides. And you're buying at risk. And so Nico Horner, he's growing as a player. He might want to wait one more year, see if he can put a big year behind him, 
see one more year of potentially some big free agent contracts going to kind of up his value. He may also want to feel out what, how is second base going to be valued? Am I going to be a shortstop? Am I going to be priced as a shortstop or priced as a second baseman? And what is that difference after the shift is gone? So he may want to bet on himself, figure these markets out, all that kind of thing. So let's go to Ian Happ. He's got one year left. Again, one of the big things about extensions is you're pricing out risk. You're buying out our beers. So where a deal makes great sense, the Cubs basically put together nine years of Anthony Rizzo because they signed him to a seven-year, $41 million contract, if I remember correctly, and plus some option years at the end, and they priced it up. So in the beginning, um, you know, they can pay him how they pay him, but as far as the luxury tax threshold is concerned, there was a set price. So it was, you know, six, six and a half million dollars, something like that for the seven years. And at that point, when they signed it, you know, Anthony Rizzo was a young player who was starting to play really well in Chicago, but he had had an up and down pass that didn't quite click with the Padres. He had come off his, his cancer treatments and all that kind of thing. And so it gave him peace of mind. It locked him in Chicago. And on the back side, there were some club options at, you know, six, roughly $16 million per year for a couple of years that wound up being frankly pretty solid market value. It's about what he makes today. It makes a little bit more. Um, so that was a deal that worked for both sides. Ian Happ now just went through this off season. He's the player rep. He knows how the business works. He knows what's going on. He just saw this year where the Cubs or not the Cubs, but all of baseball put out some really big contracts and next year's free agent class isn't necessarily super strong. Manny Machado has said he's going to opt out and Shohei Otani may well be the biggest free agent acquisition ever. But after that, it's, it's not a deep pool. Like he's Ian Happ. If he has another season, like he had last year is going to be one of the best outfielders on the market. So even though I do think he's invested in Chicago, I think he likes being a cub. I genuinely think he would prefer to stay with the Cubs. I would not be at all surprised if he goes and tests out the free agent market. Um, you know, players get that chance. It's something you earn by making your career in the majors, by making the team, by sticking year after year. And if you're in position to do that, you only get typically one, maybe two bites at that apple during the prime of your career. So I'm never going to begrudge a player who wants to do that. And because the Cubs and Hap have not gotten an extension done to this point, there's not that much downside risk left on the table for Hap. He's coming off a season and a half of really consistent quality performance. He won the gold glove last year. Sure, there's a chance he could regress this year. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But he could get hurt. He could regress. But I don't know if I see it. I mean, and he's he's shown what he's capable of. And so sometimes a guy will get priced there too. Um, but I could definitely see Ian as a guy who bets on himself, gets through the season, and sees what happens. Um, and again, like be, because you're paying for that uncertainty and there's not that much uncertainty left, if the Cubs are going to make an offer right now to extend him, and it, it does sound like they are seriously talking, and it sounds like everything is positive, nobody's hurting anybody's feelings, um, the Cubs are basically going to have to pay him very close to what a market rate would be because he's six months from being a free agent. So there's not some, you know, th- there's some benefit in staying. Like if, if he signs with the Cubs, he doesn't have to move. He loves Chicago. He's tied in with Connect Roasters. You know, he's got all this stuff going on in Chicago, which is great for him. 
but he's not automatically going to say, oh, you know, Cubs, I love you guys so much. Just pay me whatever you want. Like he knows the business. He's going to get a market deal. And so that's where the Cubs are right now. So if the Cubs aren't, can't get to that market threshold because they want to see another year of, you know, is Brendan Davis healthy? Does PCA push for the big leagues? Um, how fast is Kevin O'Contra going to rise? What about Owen Casey and Alexander Canario's um, development, especially Canario coming off that injury? Like, they might want to wait and see what they have to see what their leverage position is with Hap. Um, so it may make it, it may be that a deal does not actually make sense at this point, and that's okay. Um, one thing I see a lot of talk about is if there's no extension, then you got to trade Hap, and I don't. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think we're going to talk in a few minutes about how the Cubs project this year, but I think there's reason to think they're going to be better. There's reason to think that the Cubs could hang in a division race in a relatively weak division, hang in a race for that wild card into September. Unless you've got somebody emerging right now, you know, Brennan Davis has a fantastic spring, starts in Iowa, hits 420 and kind of forces his way up to the bigs. Why would you trade Ian Happ? You're a team that is built on pitching and defense. And he showed he could, he won the gold glove last year, so he can, he can certainly defend and you need more offense. And Ian Happ is a switch hitter. He gives you that power. There's, there are a lot of things that he brings to the table that you would want to keep. So I don't really see them trading him. And it, you know, if you're in contention, it's okay to just lose a free agent at the end of the year. If the Cubs wind up not signing him. You know, the, the Wilson Contreras thing was a little bit weird last year. They had the deal done with Houston until the Houston owner vetoed it. Um, and so they didn't trade Contreras when it, I think everybody was pretty clear he was going to move on. Um, but the Cubs weren't in contention last year. And if the Cubs contend, there's no reason to trade Hap, you know, unless I guess you could work him in a deal and get another major league player that could take his place. But you wouldn't deal from the major league roster and make the team worse. Um, my dream would be that the Cubs are even vaguely in contention and either are in a position to stand pat at the deadline and see what happens in the second half against a relatively weak second half schedule, or they're in a position to add. But even if it's a small addition, you know, pick up a bullpen arm, maybe grab a bench bat, something like that. So we'll see what happens with these extensions. Um, I love Nico Horner. I love Ian Happ. I would love for them both to get extended and stay in Chicago for a long time. But the we may be in a position right now where it doesn't make sense for either player from their perspective to sign. So we'll see what happens. Um, plus with Nico, there's there's not as much urgency as with Happ. I mean, Nico's got two years left. And again, like every as you get closer to market, you have more clarity on what a player's value is. And they're also getting closer to free agents. So there's less uncertainty built in there. Um, in some cases, it can make it easier to sign a deal. In some cases, it can make it harder. But we'll see what happens. Um, it's going to be interesting to follow. But now the big topic I want to talk about today is, hey, we're getting started. We're seeing players on the field. What can we expect out of this team? So let's get into what everybody's thinking. Like The Pakoda projections came out last week, um, and they projected the Cubs for 77 wins. So what does that mean? So first, let's dig into what PACOTA is. PACOTA is an acronym for Player Empirical Comparison and Optimization Test Algorithm. It was originally developed by Nate Silver and published as in Baseball Prospectus. It's really a, actually a backronym. Nate Silver came up with it. He wanted to name something after former 
Major League Baseball player Bill Pacoda. We'll talk about him for a second. He's a lifetime 249 hitter, played with three major league teams, and he was kind of seen as like the typical player. He was a typical journeyman. Um, he was good enough to make it in the majors, good enough to stick, but he wasn't an all-star. He didn't pile up massive numbers. Um, he came up with the Kansas City Royals in September of 1986, got his first major league hit off Twins pitcher Frank Viola. Um, 1987 might have been one of the highlights of his career. He um, hit a home run and was part of a back-to-back with Bo Jackson. That's got to be pretty cool. Um, he in Before the 1992 season, he was traded to the Mets um, along with Brett Saberhagen in a, in a pretty big deal that brought back Kevin Mitchell and a couple other players to the to the Royals. Um, <laughs> wound up being, you know, he was a utility player with the Mets. He played all four infield positions, had some good seasons there. Um, fun fact, he was the first position player to ever pitch in Mets history, so that's pretty cool. Um, he ended his career with the Braves. He joined them in 1993, played 1993 and 1994, um, got to play in the playoffs with the Braves in 1993 and then probably would have in 94, but the player strike ended that, and then that was the end of his career. But, you know, he was kind of picked because he had that typical career, so it's it's kind of a model. I think it's kind of cool. Um, anyway, Nate Silver started that in 2003. He ran it until 2009 when he turned it over to Baseball Prospectus, and they've been running it since. Um you know, it's, it's really a system of calculations and things that go into helping project a season. And, and really what it does is it basically marries sabermetrics with projections. You know, some of the big components are identification of player comps, both historically and in, within their era, um, the use of peripheral statistics and probability distributions. For the peripheral statistics, they want to factor in, you know, not just the raw numbers, not just that a guy hit 330, had an OBP of you know, 382 and slugged 456 and what was his OPS. But they want to see some of the other things like factor in hard hit rate, swing and miss rate, Ks, walks, all the things. Because that tells a story. There are park factors involved. Um, so you want to see, like, let's say a player, you want to project out what the player is going to do this year. So you've got age comps, you've got age progression. What does an average 27-year-old do from 27 to 31? You got all those things in there, but then you also use some of the supplementary things. So it, it, you want to evaluate a guy's season, and let's say you have a guy who typically has a high hard hit ball rate, you know, pretty decent K rate, walks a little bit, and all of a sudden one year, like his batting average on balls in play is way down. And you go look at the numbers, but you see he still had the same hard hit rate. He didn't strike out any more than he normally does. He was pretty typical on walks played you know played for the same team so he's playing in a similar park distribution sometimes that that might be a sign that there was a little bit of luck in there um you know if you, but on the flip side if you see that well over the past three seasons his BABIP has gone down and his overall production has gone down his hard hit rates going down you know if you see he's swinging and missing more and not hitting the ball as hard that tells you that's probably a player on decline now it could be for a lot of reasons it could be age it could be injury it could be a lot of things but it that starts to give more credence to the down and that will play out in the projections but i'm going to start with a focus on win projections so it came out that they project, projected the cubs for 77 wins and one thing that i think is important to remember is there's not just some calculation that's run one time that says boom cubs are going to win 77 games it's a whole probability distribution. So if you go to Baseball Prospectus' site and you look at the Pakoda ratings, they'll give you the Pakoda standings. 
and the way it maps out for this this year is um you know they show Milwaukee winning eight, the division with 88 wins, St. Louis in second with 86, Cubs at 77, Pittsburgh 72, Cincinnati 67. And that may well be how things play out. And I'll walk through in a minute some of the history and and how how the projection system is done in, in over the last like five years. But what it's really saying is there's a whole broad distribution. So imagine running, simulating the season, like an MLB, the show or something, simulating it a thousand times. So where do things come out? So when you, when you look just at the NL central, I'll start with the Cubs, you know, if you dig into their graph, there's a place where you can look at the probability curves from the Pocota standings page. And you'll see there's a range it's basically a bell curve. So it's, you know, it's high in the middle. That's where most of the outcomes come out. But then there are some lower percentage outcomes at the end. Um, the Cubs bottom line, I can't see the exact numbers because, I, you know, I'm sure they don't want to give their algorithm away. But if you look at it, it looks like the Cubs extreme low end, you know, sort of the one tenth of a percent outcome is 56 wins. On the other end, they've got probably the 99.99th percentile outcome is the Cubs winning 98 games. I'm pretty optimistic about the season. I don't see 98 wins, but I also don't see 56 losses either. So when you narrow that in, and again, because I can't see the raw numbers, I can't do the exact standard deviations, but it looks like um, the bulk of the scenarios played out where the Cubs win between 71 and 85 games. And so that's a that's a 14-game error bar. And it's yeah, frankly, it's probably – pretty much where I would put it too. I might air it a, a touch higher, but um, I think this team I'll probably go through in the next week or two after I see a little bit more spring training action. I'll put, I'll put together my projection for the season, but I, I see this team being between 81 and 85 wins. Um, if things are going well and they add pieces at the deadline, they could go higher than that. Um, if they get out to a poor start and don't recover, start selling off pieces, obviously, then it, it, we start hitting the bottom end scenarios. But so it's all about those error bars. And when you look across the division, Milwaukee, you know, their extremes are 65 wins to 110, which makes sense. I think they're on paper. Well, actually, I don't know that Milwaukee makes sense. I think they're probably about on, I see them about maybe a little bit better than the Cubs on paper, but not by much. I think St. Louis on paper is pretty much by far for me, the best team in the division. Um, maybe not by far, but I, I think they're pretty comfortably the best team in the division on paper. Their kind of error bar is 63 wins to 106. Can I, nobody in this division, I don't think, is going to win a, you know, 95 to 100 games. Um, the Cubs are 56 to 98. The Pirates, you know, I think they're going to be better this year. Their sort of extreme ends are 49 to nine, 49 wins to 98 wins. And then even Cincinnati, you know, they have the lowest, they really have the biggest distribution, but they're 45 to 90 wins. But when you start to hone it in really to the, you know, that most likely range of outcomes, you know, Pakota has Milwaukee sitting 84 to 94 wins, St. Louis 77 to 93, Cubs 71 to 85, Pittsburgh 65 to 77, and Cincinnati 61 to 75. And so you can see that there's overlap built in there. Um, and also because these teams are in the same division, they play more games against each other. It naturally goes that if one team is say significantly better than expected or significantly worse than expected, that's probably going to play into the other divisions outcomes. So 
if the Cubs start getting up to that high end, let's say they even step outside the 85 wins, let's say the Cubs, you know, we'll talk about how the, how the error bar gets built in, but um, Cubs do start hitting a lot of those high end positive outcomes and start creeping up to towards 90 wins. That probably means a few less wins for St. Louis and a few less wins for Milwaukee. Um, if Pittsburgh is really good or all of a sudden, if, Milwaukee is just not nearly as good as Pakoda thinks they're going to be. That probably adds wins to the Cubs, adds wins to the Cardinals, and, and bumps them up more. But but you can see where, you know, the Cubs at 85 wins, that's somewhere inside Milwaukee and St. Louis's likely estimation. So I think even Pakoda is saying that, you know, there is there are scenarios where these teams can compete. Um, really like with any probability, if something is, you know, kind of a famous one, regardless of where you sit on the political aisle is the 2016 election. A lot of the projection systems, prediction systems had Hillary Clinton as a 88% likely winner in the presidential election. Obviously she didn't win, but what that's saying is it's not saying that, you know, Hillary's favored by so many points or that at mean, that means she's going to win. What it means is if you run based on the model that they put together, if you run the election a hundred times, Hillary Clinton would win 88 and Donald Trump would win 12. And the election is a one-time instance. So which one did it hit? It hit one of the 12. Um, now I, I'm not going to get into whether I think the model was good or not, but that's what a model is. So there are these error bars. And so you look at the Cubs. So what makes the difference in them winning 71 games versus 85? or potentially going off the grid a little more and being like a horrendous team, the wheels fall off versus maybe pushing up into the 90 win threshold. Well, when you look at this team, there are a lot of, um, a lot of individual players with big variance seasons coming. And maybe the biggest one is Cody Bellinger Cubs picked him up. I think at the, at the bare bones level, he's going to play a quality center field which the Cubs need defense was atrocious, which we've hit on multiple times in, in the past. Um, so they got him for his defense. He'll give you a little power, but who is he? Is he going to be Cody Bellinger that won league MVP or is he going to be the Cody Bellinger that couldn't hit it all in 2021? Um, likely he's going to be somewhere in between there. Obviously Cubs fans are hoping he gets more and more back towards the MVP form. Um, I did see him, you know, hammer a shot to the left center and live BP off Drew Smiley today. So nice to see him going lefty, lefty, oppo. Um, but so where does he fit in? And then you've got Ian Happ and Dansby Swanson. Both guys kind of had career years last year. So is that who they are now? Or was that a peak and there'll be some regression? Like it wouldn't surprise me if Dansby Swanson, at least early in the season, regressed a little bit. We see that a lot with players who go sign big contracts there's a lot of pressure you want to come out of the gates fast and pressure a new team you can go back through there are a lot of players who go sign that big contract and struggle for a period of time as they get settled with new teammates and new routines and a new park and a new city um but we'll see uh say a suzuki last year he was very up and down he finished the year strong had his struggles early which you would expect he came over from japan had to learn the major league baseball pitching and you know he had to adjust. The league adjusted to him. He had to adjust back. He also had some injuries. Um, now he comes back. He's 20 pounds heavier. It looks like he added 20 pounds of raw muscle. 
So what is his game going to be this year? Is he going to hit more power, hit for more power? I'm optimistic, and a lot of the projection systems do have Saya as probably the Cubs' best offensive player this year, but that's not a guarantee. Um, is he going to stay healthy? What is the carrying the extra 20 pounds? What does that do to the rest of his game? Does it slow him down? Does it give him less range in the outfield? No, and training regimens today are pretty good. So you can typically add muscle to a guy without you know, totally hindering his mobility and all that stuff. So I'm not super worried about it. But when we're talking about error bars, this is an error bar. There's a chance that, say, it could come explode on the scene and have a tremendous season and where he could regress a little bit from last year. Um, you look at Nico Horner. He's been – he's had some years where he's not been all that healthy. And even last year he was mostly healthy, but he wasn't 100% healthy. And he's a developing bat. Does he continue to develop, or was last year as good as he's going to be? Um, I think there's reason to think he's going to continue to develop and, and give the Cubs more than they had this year, but not a guarantee. And then we start adding in the younger players, Christopher Morrell. What is Matt Mervis going to do? Can Patrick Wisdom maintain the power and continue to reduce that strikeout rate? Um, you know, So there's a lot of uncertainty built into this, and we could have a scenario where we get basically MVP Bellinger, say a Suzuki explodes. Now there's a lot more protection in the lineup. So Ian Happ continues to produce. You've got Nico Horner getting on somewhere, maybe at the top of the order. Dansby Swanson repeats last year. Like if, if all these things happen, all of a sudden the Cubs look like a really substantial offense and maybe start trending up towards that 90 win level. If Cody Bellinger doesn't hit, Ian Happ regresses, say as on and off the injured list, you know, and the offense doesn't go well, then maybe they're not any better than last year. So, you know, th- that's how things can go. And, and when you look at the pitching, again, the, I think there's there are fewer question marks. I think the pitching has a higher floor than the offense does. But Justin Steele, there were times before he got hurt last year that he was looking like a borderline ace. So is he going to be able to take that step, be healthy for most of a year, put in 150 innings, and go be that guy that just shoves every five days? I don't know. Marcus Stroman had injuries, but as long as he's healthy, you know, once he was healthy the second half of last year, he really kind of pitched like Marcus Stroman. So I would, there's always potential for decline, but I would not have a ton of worries about Stroman, but Hayden Wesneski, you know, he looked good in four outings plus some bullpen appearances last year. Can he come up? Um, If called on, and I'm guessing the fifth starter with Hendricks being out is going to be, Either Wesneski, Adrian Sampson, or Javier Assad. Um, but with Sampson and Assad, they both pitched really well last year when they got the chance. And was that flukish? Was, is that, uh, are those guys going to be the, say, the pitching equivalent of Frank Schwindel, who had a really crazy end of 2021 and then really couldn't get it done last year? Or is that who they are? Can they be that productive? Can they go in and, and make those starts and, and hold down that rotation spot until either – a uh, younger player like K- Caleb Killian or Hayden Wisniewski or Jordan Wicks already, or Kyle Hendricks comes back, or do they struggle? And same with the bullpen. Like I, I don't have big worries about the Cubs bullpen, but I don't know what that bullpen's going to look like yet. I, I would sort of put my money, I guess, on Brandon Hughes being the closer, or possibly Michael Fulmer. But I think just like we've seen the last few seasons with the bullpens and David Ross with this pitching infrastructure. I think the Cubs are going to play with some things, do some closer by committee, and eventually they'll settle into some roles. Like at this point last year, I was certainly not 100% convinced that uh, 
David Robertson was the closer. So, you know, these things, these things do change. Um, so when we get into the, the ratings, you know, we look at the Dakota rate ratings and, you know, when you look back last year, the, uh, Dakota had Milwaukee winning the division at 93 wins. St. Louis second with 80. Reds in third with 78. Cubs with, you know, 71, 72. And Pittsburgh at 65. And, you know, as it turned out, they overrated Milwaukee and they underrated St. Louis. And and there has been some analysis done. Dakota has pretty consistently underrated the Cardinals. There's not any real clear trend with the Cubs. There have been a couple seasons where the Cubs have exceeded expectations. A couple years where they've been under. Um... I think last year, last year they were pretty close. They won 74 games. They were projected for 71.9. Um, so I got in, I was looking at some of the outliers. Like last year, the biggest outlier was they, Dakota, and really the rest of baseball completely underestimated what the Orioles would be able to do last year. They were, the Orioles won 22 more games than Dakota projected. On the flip side, the Reds were the most overrated team. Uh, the Reds won 17 fewer games than Pagoda projected. And sometimes it's because the model's wrong, or sometimes it's because you have your sort of expectations, and then there are a bunch of injuries. And then if that leads to a bad first half and you completely trade off all your pieces, you're, you're not even the same team in the second half that was projected to be there, so things can get haywire quick. You know, in 2021 – the Giants were obviously the most underrated team. And again, though it's, it wasn't necessarily a flaw in Pakoda. I think the rest of baseball, no, nobody saw that Giants team winning over 100 games. Um, so they were off by 35. And on the flip side, the Washington Nationals and the Mets were right there at 20 and 19 games, kind of over overrated. And, you know, it's not that surprising. Again, that's that's when the – you know, the Nats kind of plunged after their championship season. And the 2021 season was hard, too, because part of the projections were made based on 2020. And there was it was a 60-game season. You had the work stoppage in there. Like, so many things got screwed up. Um, that was that was certainly going to be a tough year to project. If you go back to, you know, oh, so for the, for the Cubs in 2021, they projected the Cubs at 85 wins, and the Cubs won 14 fewer. Some of that is the Cubs underperformed. You know, they had the big, long losing streak before they started trading pieces off, but then they traded pieces off. So they traded Baez, traded Rizzo, traded KB, traded guys out of the bullpen. It was just not the same team in the second half. I'm, I skipped over 2020. I don't know that there's much value in looking at projections in a 60-game season, but when you look at 2019, you know I remember being frustrated and seeing the Pakota projection for the Cubs to only win 84 games. And, I thought, surely that's wrong. And they actually got it dead on. Um, they had, Pakoda had the Brewers edging out St. Louis, you know, both at a, approximately 89 wins. Cubs and Reds next at 84. And, you know, Pakoda was pretty good in the Central that year. The Cardinals were a little bit better, but the Cardinals won 91. They got the Brewers right at 89 wins. Um, the Reds were off a bit. The Reds weren't as good as the Cubs. They were 75, but... Dakota projected the Pirates at 66, and they won 69. So, you know, that's nice. Um, 2018, you know, they were pretty close again. They they kind of underrated both the Cubs and the Brewers. So that was the year that the Cubs and Brewers both won 95 games. Then Milwaukee beat them in game 163. Um, so both those teams were better than expected. 
really the entire division was. You know, the, they projected the Cubs at 91 wins, St. Louis at 85, Milwaukee at 84, Pittsburgh 78, Reds 75. And except for the Reds, everybody else was better. Milwaukee won 96, Cubs 95, Cardinals 88, Pittsburgh 182, um, and then Cincinnati only was 67. But again, like I said earlier, when you look at the projections and some teams start being better within a division, when they play each other so many times, that almost is by definition going to suck some wins away from you know the other teams. Um, in 2017, when the Cubs were coming off the World Series championship, again it was it was pretty solid. They had the Cubs at 93 wins, and they had the and the Cubs actually won the division at 92. So that was pretty close. Um, now Dakota that year had overrated the Pirates and underrated Milwaukee, underrated St. Louis as they often do. Um, but it really comes down to those individual error bars. And when, you, when you break it out, you can compare Pakoda. There are other baseball projection systems too. There's there's Steamer and Zips that you can get on Fangraphs. Um, so if we look at this year, you know the Pakoda is probably a little bit more in line with, or not Pakoda. Zips is more in line with what I how I see the division. Zips has St. Louis at 91 wins, Milwaukee at 83, Cubs at 78. Reds at 70, I don't think they're going to be that good. And Pirates at 68, and I don't think they'll be that bad. So I would I would probably flip the Reds and Pirates. And I don't think 70 – I think 78 for the Cubs is low, but I don't think it's unreasonably low. I think there's reason to be skeptical that Cody Bellinger can get his power back. I think there's reason to be skeptical that Saya, Hap, Morrell, Horner, Swanson can all maintain or improve offensive output. Um so we'll see what happens. I think it's in the solid range of probabilities. Um, so when you look at those, you know, let, let's use Zips because it's, it was a little bit easier on fan graphs to dive into individual numbers. You know, Zips has Saya projected for a 135 WRC plus, Hap at 114, Swanson at 113. Um, you know, they expect Wisdom to have a pretty good year at 109. You know, 35% K rate still, but. Um, that may be what the Cubs can get out of him. If they can platoon him and play him mostly against lefties, that could be very good. Hosmer and Mancini above average. You know, the big surprise on Zips is they project Nico Horner at a 100 WRC plus, which is league average. I think that's low, but there's clearly something in these systems using player comps, using probability distributions that kind of points to that outcome. Um, I'm not entirely clear what that is. Um, the K rate for Nico is still quite good. Um, not a ton of walks, but that that's kind of his value, I think. And I, th- I think some of these models, too, I think this year is going to be a tough projection system, too, because nobody really knows how the lack of shift is going to play out. Well, there's some evidence from the minor leagues, but not at this level, not with the consistent hard hit balls they have now. Um, Nico's a guy I think can benefit some from the shift. Be- the shift being gone. He was shifted a little bit last year. Um. So if you look at Zips and you look at Steamer, you know, Steamer has, say, a little bit less, but still their best player at 127, WRC+, plus, Hap at 112, Hosmer and Horner now at 108. That's maybe more in the ballpark where I would expect Nico Horner to be. Um, you know, they have Wisdom at 92. So the Steamer projection system doesn't like w- Wisdom. Um, maybe they're over-projecting how much he's going to play against right-handers. I'd have to dig more in the numbers on that, but... I think the big thing to watch for as we head into the spring training is just see what these guys are working on. Um, we've heard Tyone added another pitch. Um, you know, we know guys are working on different techniques and don't get hung up on spring training results. 
um, a pitcher might, you know, I remember famously John Lester got rocked in one, one outing in spring training in 2016, 2015. And reporters asked him about it, and he said he was working on one pitch. He threw one, like, one, maybe two pitches the entire time he's starting. Well, that's not how he's going to play it in the regular season, but he's out there throwing three innings working on something. So if a guy gets lit up, it may just be because he's working on something and you know he's not even trying to fool the hitters. He's just trying to throw pitches. Um, another error bar I'll run through real quick is you know the starting pitching. How healthy can they be? Um, Zips only projects Marcus Stroman to throw 150 innings. He's They've got... Tyone at 145, and then Assad and Steele, like 116 and 104. I don't know that I buy that. There are some weird distributions. Um, you know, Steamer is maybe a little closer to what I sort of expect. They've got Stroman at 178, Tyone at 178, Steele at 143, Smiley 131, you know, Hendricks at 128, which I'm not sure he's going to get there because we'll, we'll see when he can actually come back and pitch. But those are the kinds of things that play into this and make those error distributions. So, See how guys are playing in spring training. See what kind of rules and rotations David Ross and the Cubs set up. Um, it's going to be really fascinating to watch. So I can't wait to be in spring training on Saturday. It's going to be great, and I hope to see some of you down there. Enjoy it. I love the marquee is showing all these games. Um, enjoy the spring. Baseball's here, people. It's time. Let's go. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Will you be going to Arizona this spring to catch a game, or will you be watching on TV? It's time to get excited. If you liked what you heard, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and it helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!